right, good morning. Um, good to be back with you, at least on video. Again, still working on getting used to the whole thing, but hey, we're getting there. Uh, also, happy Father's Day. We're not going to talk about Father's Day today, so <laughs> at least not in the text anyway, but all the same to all of you who are fathers, happy Father's Day. Um, particularly happy Father's Day to my dad, who's pastor in Tennessee, so hope you all are having a good day over there. And happy Father's Day to everybody else. So, good morning though. Grab your Bible. We're going to jump in. We've been going through Colossians. We're going to continue through Colossians. So go ahead. If you've got a Bible, grab it and turn there. Again, this is not church. This is me delivering the word, unpacking the word for you. And then tonight we'll have church. So again, if you're in Tempe area, East Valley, really anywhere, but well, I don't care where you are, but (laughs) probably be closer if you're in the East Valley. Or if you're in Tempe, you're welcome to come join us. Um, you can go online and find us on the website. You can email. You can uh, hit us up through social media, whatever you want to do. And uh, we'll tell you how to come find where we are and join us and get plugged in. And um, look forward to seeing you guys who are coming on the regular tonight so we can talk about this and kind of unpack it together. Also, one other quick note, um, next week... Uh, There won't be a video. Molly and I are long overdue for a vacation, and uh, we're not taking a long one, but just a few days and getting away, but it will prevent me from being able to get a video shot or filmed, whatever. Shot, that sounds funny. Video filmed. I don't know. What's the proper technique? I'm not the video guy. Anyway, um, so if you're coming on... um, if you're coming on Saturday or Sunday night, go ahead and plan to come. I will be here. Molly will be here by Sunday night, and we will continue to worship around the Word together. Josh Hodges will be leading us through something, so we'll be joining in in that aspect. So, But there won't be a video, and uh, and you won't miss anything. We're going to talk about something else. So Colossians will continue. It'll just be two weeks. So if you're looking next week and you're like, where's the video? Well, that's the case. So there you go. All right. By now, I'm sure you're in Colossians if you have a Bible. So if you have one, jump in Colossians. We're going to read, as soon as I get my glasses out here, getting old, folks. Um, We're going to read Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And, you know, keep in mind as we always look back at it, excuse me, look back at it each week, Colossians 3, 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. That's kind of a theme of where we're coming from as we look at this this book. So Colossians 1, 9 to 14, it says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding, uh, all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom... We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me uh, pray for us and we'll jump in here. Lord, I love you. Um, I thank you, Father, for the privilege of being in your word. I know I say that a lot, but that's because I mean it. It is a privilege to have it, to hold it, to share it. Um, not, Not just me as a pastor, all of us as believers. 
And Lord, as we unpack it today and we begin to look through this or I begin to walk us through it, Lord, I I pray as always, Lord, that you're glorified, you're lifted up, your voice is heard, that it's your word, that all I'm doing is, is seeking to understand clearly what you say and not put words in your mouth or take it beyond what it's supposed to mean. Or rabbit trail into anything else. Or we just want to spend time with you. We just want to hear from you. Whatever it is you have to say. And Lord, uh, again, as I pray often, I am a student, not the teacher. I have the privilege of holding the word and talking about it right this moment on this camera, into this microphone. But Lord, I'm here to learn from you, even from the notes I've already made. And I thank you for loving us, Lord. I thank you for saving us. Thank you for indwelling us with your Holy Spirit, and I pray, Lord, that we hear from you today. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, in 1972, same year I was born, uh, one of my more favorite movies came out, and again, I'm, I'm killing myself with these movie references because I can't recommend, shouldn't recommend them to you, but it was The Godfather, and The Godfather, uh, that uh, particular year was a huge hit. In fact, it became the highest grossing movie of all time for a period. Uh, and in the movie The Godfather, you have this uh, family in the first half of the 20th century that, immig- uh, that uh, they're immigrants from Italy that come to America. And uh, basically, they made a name for themselves through organized crime. Um, and the thing is, the family name was Corleone and Every time you would hear that name, it would elicit a response to hear it. Either it was respect or it was fear or it was jealousy, but everybody knew that name, Corleone. And there was another gangster movie came out not not too long after that that uh, was about another person, another immigrant from Cuba in the second half of the 20th century, and that was um, – Tony Montana in Scarface, where the character's name was Tony Montana in Scarface. And again, same thing. He made this family name, Tony Montana, that was, that was infamous, you know. And, and he did it in a rough way. And those are symbolic fictional characters. I realize that. Um, but there's others like Capone, not fictional, obviously. Dillinger, or more relevant maybe to where we live in Arizona, you have like Billy the Kid and Jesse James, some of these Wild West guys. Names that were intended to strike a response when you heard that name. There were expectations what you thought that meant. Another uh, more family-centric names like um, that might be more relevant to what we're thinking like Crip, Blood, Cartel, Peaky Blinders. No, I had to get the Irish in there somewhere. <laughs> But they're names that that when you hear those names, it's somebody who's associated with that people, organization, family, whatever. Uh, it should cause a response from you. And in most cases, you should be able to see and recognize that they are part of the family or part of that organization by the way they dress, by who they hang out with, by where they hang out. By who they or how they talk, by what they actually pay attention to, by who they're afraid of, who they're not afraid of, their attitudes, their actions, the way other people talk about them, um, the other people who know them, those kind of things ought to all point to them. And, and in the movies, as well as these living examples, the worst thing, I mean, the worst thing that could happen or that you could do is 
betray the family. There's nothing more heinous than that, that you would appear as family and yet fail to represent the family appropriately. And obviously I'm not looking to make a comparison here directly between outlaws and believers, you know, or organized crime and the family of God. That's not my desire. My desire. But what I'm trying to point out is the power of association by identity. You hear me? The power of association by identity. And it's the name that matters. And that's kind of what we're talking about. The name matters. And today we're going to be considering the name that we represent. And it's not our name that matters, it's his name that matters. But I'm not talking about the name Jesus just in like what does that word mean or where did that word come from. I'm talking about the fact that we bear his identity as believers. You know what I'm saying? That it's it's like a last name that we have. It's a heritage behind it. We are we are La Familia, but a different kind of family. You know what I mean? We're his family. There's a heritage. Hebrews 11 and 12. I'm not going over there. Read it in your own time. But, but the chapter 11 and the start of 12 talk about this great cloud of witnesses that we're surrounded by. It's our heritage. It's a legacy. It's a family name. It matters. You know what I'm saying? So today... In the text here in Colossians, Paul continues to pray for these Colossian believers. And he's asking God here to fully supply them with all they need to live their lives in a manner that reflects God. And because they belong to him. You know what I mean? And so I'm hoping that as we read it, we learn that as believers in Christ, we should desire to walk in a manner that is worthy of that name. To live a life that's worthy of that name because we bear that name. He made us his own. And I hope that we do that so that we'll bear fruit and, and, and grow in a deeper and greater intimacy with God. That's kind of my desire. So there's a mountain. I'm going to tell you how we're going to take it apart, and then we'll do it quickly. There, there's a mountaintop in the text, or at least this is the way I see it, okay? You, you, y'all can take me apart if you want, all of you scholars out there and, and, and people much smarter than me, which there are tons of them. So this is, this is just the way that I am walking into this passage. I see a mountaintop when I look at this passage. Not that everything goes up and then comes back down, but that everything kind of rises to this statement in the middle or towards the beginning that says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So the way we're going to unpack it is that verse 10, walk in, Walk worthy of the Lord. And then we're going to look back at verse 9 and how is that possible? And then we're going to look back at 10 and go to 10 and into 11 and look at what does it look like. And then 12 and 14 and why does it matter? So walk worthy of the Lord. How is that possible? What does it look like? And why does it matter? So let's jump into it right from the beginning and just look quickly at the overarching mountaintop of walk worthy of the Lord. Look at verse 10. He says, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Paul uses this terminology frequently, uh, Colossians 1.10 that we're looking at here, walk worthy of the Lord. Ephesians 4.1, again, probably written the same time, walk worthy of our calling. Philippians 1.27, again, probably written the same time, walk worthy of the gospel. So Paul has this walk in mind and it's reflective of a lifestyle. It means like day to day, moment to moment, step by step as you go through your life. And then he uses this word worthy multiple times. 
and, and it's kind of understood as counterbalances, like a scale, right? And, and uh, that they level out. That's what he's saying. They level out. So one matches or equals the other. So here's the question. Do our lives match Jesus? Do our lives match that name? You know what I mean? He throws in this word pleasing. Uh, one commentator wrote, the word pleasing here in Greek is nowhere else in the New Testament. But it was used in the Greek-speaking world to mean a preference for the will of others above our own. So what Paul is saying here is that we're doing God's will here above our own that we're living a life that pleases God above our own. Not just when it aligns with our own. It pleases him above our, our own. So it, is our lifestyle repping, use a borrow a, a word, is our lifestyle repping the name that we claim? Does it do that? If we're Christians, which means little Christs, if we're little Christs, is that evident in our every step, in our every move? Is it not just are we doing it? Is it evident? Is it noticeable? Uh, if we're leaving, living a life to please him like moment to moment, even when it means abandoning what pleases us, are we doing that? You know, if we're flying the Christian colors, to borrow a word from the gang world, if we're flying the Christian flag, the Christian colors up here, do, do others recognize our association with that by our lifestyle. Does our lifestyle represent those colors? The name matters. Reputation matters. Are we willing, or excuse me, are we living worthy? Are we living worthy of the reputation we have that we bear the family name? Jesus' family name, you know? And there's a manner in which, you know, you are currently walking. Just like there's a manner in which I'm currently walking because I'm living a life and a lifestyle. Now, you going to test it and see where you're at? Real easy. I give you some ways to test it. And I don't say this as someone who succeeds. I just say it as someone who's aware. A couple of questions. Ask yourself, how much of your money do you spend on yourself? Now, I'm not talking about, well, I spend money on my wife or my kids. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the balances here, the family, God's family, you. So you could it encompasses all these other things too. So those are the balances. So how much of your money do you spend on self? The other side of the scale. How much of your time do you spend on self? Wow, that one cuts deep, right? Look at your time. How much of your time is spent on self, on stuff for you? Or things that you need to do or have to do or getting done versus the other side. Uh, how many of your plans, how much of your plans... For the week, for the month, for the year, for the considerable future, down the road, retirement, whatever it may be. How much of your plans are for self? That one will cut you. And here's the deal. You might weigh them all out and you might find out that you're living, you are living completely worthy of self. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's the struggle. So how is it possible? How, how is it possible to walk worthy of the Lord? Look at verse 9. He says, And so, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he, he brings up prayer again here, and there's a link back to verse 3, where we talked about last week, where he's, he's saying, We always pray for you. Verse 4 says, Since we heard 
And here Paul says, we've not ceased to pray for you from the day we heard. Same kind of thing. So what is it that Paul, he says, we, what is it that they're asking for in prayer? This is important to think about for a minute. D.A. Carson wrote a, a fantastic book called Praying with Paul. And in that book, he makes this, this point. He says, suppose that 80 to 90% of our petitions or prayers ask God for good health, recovery from illness, safety on the road, a good job, success in exams, the emotional needs of our children, um, success in our mortgage application, and much more of the same. How much of Paul's praying revolves around equivalent items? That's a gut shot, right? And Paul, what Paul is praying for here, what he's asking for here, is that in a, in a word that the Colossians will be filled. Filled. Filled with what? Great question. The knowledge of God's will. Knowing God's heart. That's what that means. Knowing what God desires. Knowing what God wants. But Paul links his request here. To all wisdom and understanding. See, knowing God's will is one thing. Uh, understanding it is something else. And having the wisdom to move on it is yet another thing. There, there's a couple of pieces of this puzzle. See, understanding is, is comprehension, like you comprehend it when you see it. So I know it, but now, but I'm comprehending it now. And then wisdom is the skill to employ that knowledge. So I, I get the knowledge, I understand it, and then I have the skill skill to employ it. So I'm good at employing it. You know, I heard the story a while back of an old lumberjack uh, who had been using an axe all of his life. And a young lumberjack uh, gave him a brand new chainsaw for the first time. And uh, he became utterly frustrated trying to swing it at the tree, you know. And... That's kind of the idea of that you can have the knowledge, you can have the understanding, you've got to have the wisdom to use it as well. So here, wisdom and understanding, Paul links both of them around that word spiritual. He's not talking about like ethereal, magical, spiritual things like that. He's talking about a it's to a specific person who is spiritual as a result of the Holy Spirit within them. That's what he's getting at. So, so here's the point. You can be filled with the knowledge of God's word right now. Right now. You can be filled with the knowledge, or excuse me, knowledge of God's will through his word. I can, I can tell you right now, you have the tool you need right here to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. His will is utterly explaining there. If you think, well, I don't know, what does he want me to do about this? Well, until you read... All of these thousands of pages and find no answers, then, then we can have that conversation. But I can bet you probably haven't read every word of it. You probably don't know every word of it to a T. I'm telling you, his will is in here. However, gaining understanding of it and, and all wisdom to embrace it and execute it, that comes from the Spirit. And too often we want to push into one category or the other. We want to camp out in the word and just study, study, study and never allow the Holy Spirit to 
help us comprehend. Don't pause them. Not only don't even pause a minute. Just hey, if the, if the teacher said it, write it down. You know, if the preacher said it, write it down. Get it. Never pause to just let the Holy Spirit help us understand it. And then certainly never allow the Holy Spirit to guide us into you know using it in our life or, or employing it in our life in a skillful way. But on the other hand, too, a lot of times we're too quick to rush out and say, hey, I'm, I'm by the Spirit, man. Move by the Spirit. Act by the Spirit. But we're not taking enough time to know his will. The thing is that understanding, understanding his, uh, his will and getting in the word and understanding all that, that is wasted without the Holy Spirit teaching us how to, through wisdom, use that. But on the flip side, on the flip side of that, having all of that wisdom and having all of that understanding but not being in his word is a complete waste because you're going to be having wisdom and understanding about all kinds of things but not his word. Got to have both. They work in unison together. The word teaches us his will. The Holy Spirit guides us to understand it and then gives us wisdom to appropriate it in our lives. Right? And that's what Paul is praying for here. That's how it's possible to walk worthy of the Lord. Um, but what does it look like practically? So what does that look like when we start that walk? Go back to verse 10. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. He picks up from there. Bearing fruit in every good work. That word work is duty. It's like something you are legally or morally obligated to, that kind of thing. And increasing in the knowledge of God. That word knowledge is the same word he used before when he mentioned knowledge. It's pretty funny because we've mentioned before these Gnostics who believed in all knowledge. And they used this word gnosis uh, for knowledge. And I talked about that last week. Paul here uses a slightly different twist on the word. He sticks a, a, little, set, a little word in front of it, epigenosis. And the funny part about that is it's kind of like, or in my opinion, I think it's funny because I think what he's doing is taking a shot at them because it's kind of like saying super knowledge, um, you know, epigenosis, super knowledge. So he's telling them you'll have super knowledge of God. And I, that's just my opinion. Paul's sarcastic sometimes. I think he may be taking a jab at these Gnostics. But either way, uh, he talks about this every good work. It, it doesn't mean... To imply that it, that it's only good deeds or de- good deeds only that he's talking about here, he doesn't mean like churchy behavior. He doesn't mean to separate the good stuff from the bad stuff uh, and say, you know, I'm bearing fruit when I'm doing these things. That's not what he's necessarily saying. It's kind of the other way around. It means you identify every deed as good and pleasing by walking in the knowledge of His will. So as you walk in the knowledge of his will, that's what identifies things as good and pleasing to God. And the result of that lifestyle is fruit. That's what he's saying, right? Now, I said last week that the, when he used the word fruit earlier in this uh, chapter that I thought it was related to the spread of the gospel, and I do. But here I think it's different. Uh, his meaning behind fruit is different. Same word, but I think that the first time... Uh, it was related to seed or multiplication. This time, I think it's related to deed, like the fruit of the Spirit. You know, it's the deeds that he's talking about here in terms of fruit, not the seed of multiplication. 
So keep in mind here too that the the fruit is the result of the nature of the tree. Big deal, right? It's not the best efforts of the tree to make the fruit. It is the natural reaction of the nature of the tree to produce fruit. Bearing fruit and increasing, those two words, bearing fruit and increasing, they are both present, passive, and plural, which basically means that it's something that's continuing to happen to you, passive, to you, and not specifically by you. This is epic. Now get this. The whole bearing fruit and increasing, it is increasing. It's plural. It's continuing to happen. It's increasing. And it's not something that is specifically by you. It's something that's happening to you. It's a result of your walk. You begin to bear fruit. It happens. It comes. The fruit and the increase come from God in response to uh, walking worthy. You following what I'm saying? And what Paul's praying for here is that the increase is in that knowledge, but not just God's will, but knowledge of him. See, he said the knowledge of God's will before. Now he's saying the knowledge of God. He's talking about more than just, hey, what does he want? Like, know him. Intimacy. Continuous, growing intimacy with God. So, is the fruit that we produce, is the fruit that you produce, is it reflective of him? Um, the object is to experience God, to be intimate with God, not just to carry around a Bible, know a whole bunch of verses, not just go into church or pray in loud prayers, even in KJV. <laughs> it's about quietly enjoying his presence, man. Just listening to him. Listening for him, looking for him, spending time where you expect to see him or encounter him because that's what you want. You know, it's not a list of do's or don'ts. And in fact, and bear with me on this, but in fact, I believe, too, it's unique to every person. Not because God is different, but because we are. I'm not the same as you. Uh, we might have a lot of things in common. We might both go to the word of God, but my experience with God is going to look a little different than yours. Not because God is different, because we are different. And that's the whole point. It's a relationship, right? Uh, Jesus explains this relationship between knowing God and bearing fruit in John 15. In verse 4, he says, Abide in me and I in you. Now, I could, we could tear this up. It's been preached a lot, and uh, I'm not going to. I just want you to see kind of the big picture of what he's saying. Live in me. Abide in me. Live in me. And I live in you. Abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And the nothing doesn't mean you can't walk to the store. The nothing means you can't bear fruit at all, period. You can't do it because you're the branch. The tree is what makes the fruit happen. So your responsibility is not to make the fruit happen. Your responsibility is to uh, abide, remain, live, walk in him. See that? Or Paul put it another way in Galatians. Uh, again, maybe written uh, around the same time. Galatians 5 verse 16, maybe not. I don't know. Galatians 5 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they're opposed to each other. Skipping to verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit, most of us know this, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Same idea. Let me put it to you like this. Oftentimes we say to people who are new believers, well, believers at all, but we like to point it out to people when they come to Christ uh, that from now on, now that you're a believer, from now on, when God looks at you, he only sees his son. Now, I think that's true. I'm not going to contradict that. I think that's true. My question is, what does the rest of the world see? Or who does the rest of the world see? God looks at you as a believer, he sees his son. But who does the rest of the world see? What's the fruit that we're showing them? Is that fruit in keeping with who God is? With who, who we are as part of that family? Look at verse 11. He goes on, being strengthened, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For, not with, for all endurance and patience. With joy. So power here, that is exactly that. It is power, but that word is more of a supernatural context. It's almost like he's saying spiritual power, right? And then the might is, is physical ability. It's like strength, you know? Um, and, and Paul's praying that their spirits are powerful, that their bodies are strong, that, that, the, that there's power in their spirit, and that their bodies are strong. Why? For... All endurance and patience, physical and spiritual, spiritual or emotional patience and and, and endurance in this physical sense, like I'm going to endure this. Patience here is not just about waiting for Jesus to come back one day. That's not what he's talking about. It's specifically linked to to long-suffering. That's a different word because I threw suffering in there, right? The the word there is linked to long-suffering. He's talking about enduring pain. Or unhappiness is what he's talking about. And, he, and it's from people and or circumstances. It could be either one. It's probably both. Physical circumstances and people. Because we're talking about emotions and physical things here. And the implication here, and Paul, Paul is fully aware of it, is that they, they're going to need that. They're going to need it. And remember, Paul's writing from prison. I mean, he knows what he's talking about. But note where that might comes from. It's God's glorious might. They are being strengthened with the power that's coming on them. And even their physical, the might is from God's glorious might. Both the, the spiritual power and the physical might come from God's own glory. And so, therefore, it's also for his glory. It's coming from his glory, so it's for his glory. You don't get anything from it. I don't care how strong you are inside or out. It's coming from his glory. It's for his glory. The family name matters. Uh, you know, and, and knowing that he supplies these things, it brings joy. It comes with joy. Joy, though, is a funny word, right? You're talking about patience and long-suffering, and then you slip joy in there. Well, that's something that's like unexplainable. Like, how does that work? Um, 
And look, you may not feel like you have all power. He says you're, you know, that's that's the situation that you're being strengthened with all power. You may not feel like that, and in a sense, you really don't have all power. But Christ does, without a doubt. Christ does. All power, all authority is given to him. Christ does. Christ has it. And guess what? He dwells in you. He dwells in me. That's our identity. That's who we really are. The thread of the whole series here. That's who we really are. He dwells in us. And so we may not have all power, but he does. And and so how can we be discouraged? How can we be defeated? How can we be hopeless? How can we be scared? How... Our identity changes everything. It changes everything. It's already done, folks. That's why Paul said in the end of Romans 8, read it, go read it. You know, whom then shall I fear? Like, you know, go go read it. He goes down this long list. There's nothing to be afraid of. One commentator said this. Here's something that the natural man knows nothing of. Joy in the time of trial. Gladness in the time of hardship. Songs in the night, though the darkness be overwhelming. Praise to the God of my salvation when even nature shakes and trembles. Awesome statement. Or as the psalmist wrote, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Probably finished that sentence for me. So that joy here, it leads to something. It leads to thanks, to giving thanks. So walk worthy of the Lord. How, how do we do that? What does it look like? Now we'll kind of look at, well, why does it matter? Um, watch this in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified. word qualified there means to make sufficient or perfect you. He's qualified you to share or have a portion. It's talking about a will, like an inheritance. Have a portion in the inheritance that you, you your name's in the will. You get something. You get part of it. Uh, to share in the inheritance of the saints or the holy ones in light. So Paul continues his calling here to the Gentiles because look what he says. He's telling them that they're sharing in their inheritance, not of the Jews. It doesn't say inheritance of the Jews. It says inheritance of the saints, people of every tribe, tongue, and nation, right? We've talked about that before. Revelation 5, 9, read it in your own time. Isaiah 56, 7, my house will be a house of prayer for all peoples. Um, Genesis twelve three, where he made the promise to Abraham that you, through you, all nations will be blessed. It's been that way from the beginning. They are qualified. They are qualified to share in that inheritance. You know, I've been um, helping with the football team, flying the flag today. You're welcome, coach. Um, but uh, I've been helping with the local high school football team in um, – coronavirus obviously has made it difficult to kind of navigate things as we try to get back started but there are some of the guys that are really competing hard at what they're able to do right now and uh, and it seems pretty obvious that they're trying to qualify themselves to be on the starting team here to get on the field whenever if if and when we do and they they're going through some serious suffering I'm talking intense heat we live in the desert. It's, it's Arizona, right? It's been well over 100 for months now nearly. And so we're going into the summer. So it's going to get 115, 120. These guys are out there in it. They're competing hard. Um, they're in the grass. I mean, they're putting their bodies, they're making their bodies suffer to qualify them for, for maybe that starting team. And what Paul is pointing out here is the Father has qualified us 
It's telling Colossians, the Colossians that, but it's the same for us. So the Father has qualified us through the efforts and suffering of his Son. I mean, it's amazing. R.C. Sproul wrote this. He said, the false teaching in Colossae resulted in this cowardice before the pagan supernatural beings thought to have the power to disqualify even believers from being uh, with God or living life with God. This accounts for Paul's use of qualified here. No power in the universe can question the credentials of those who are in Christ. Money. That's what that is. Um, All of the above, everything I've read here is possible because he qualified us. Guys, that's what that's the word grace. That's what grace is. He qualified us. And don't forget uh, what was required to qualify us. He didn't just decide it and say, okay. I mean, his word had to hold true. Wages of sin is death. The day you eat it, you'll surely die. He had to keep his word. It cost something. It cost his son who died on a cross and rose in order to defeat the enemy that we could not defeat, sin and death. Look at verse 13. He has, talking about the Father, he has delivered or rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That word domain and kingdom, it's it's kind of locations, but it's also the idea of there's powers and authorities. So the domain is, is, is in a sense a kingdom. It is a power and authority, a place. And then his kingdom, obviously, is a royal kingdom with authority and rule. And he says... Excuse me. He says in verse 14, in whom we have present active right now, we have redemption, liberation. We're set free. That's what that means. The forgiveness or pardon or release of our sins. Man, that's man. That's some awesome two verses right there. Um, The context of these last two verses is slavery. Uh, That's just that's the straight context of it. And redemption means to buy back, it cost. It, it, you've been bought back. Ephesians one seven, Paul says a similar phrase again, likely written at the same around the same time. In him we have redemption through his blood. He adds there the forgiveness of our trespasses. He bled to make that possible. He it cost. It cost the blood of his son. And we have forgiveness of sins. It means we have pardon. The debt is paid. The 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 uh, charge against us has been canceled. Rome, uh, excuse me. Psalm one hundred three twelve says, "As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins or our transgressions from us." Paul mentions these two like planes of existence: this domain of darkness and this kingdom of light. Light exposes, and light reveals. Bears the truth, shows you what's really there, right? That's the truth. Darkness does the opposite. It hides and it conceals, and therefore it deceives deception. And that's the picture he's painting. One is the truth, and one is a lie. And these two terms would have been real familiar to these guys. They they would have understood that. And Jesus, or excuse me, just as God, like, delivered the Israelites uh, in Egypt from slavery in Egypt and bondage in Babylon in the same way he's delivered them and us from the place of darkness, from the domain, a domain of darkness, the rule of darkness from sin and the, and, and the entrapment of sin to that domain. Galatians 1, 3, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's what's up. So now Paul would explain multiple times, we are slaves to Christ. We belong to him. We bear his name. We bear his name. And so our walk matters. So what should the world see when they look at us? What should our walk look like? You know, what should our fruit look like so that others can benefit from it? What should it look like? You know, uh, if we're part of the kingdom of light, then I can tell you one thing. It should certainly, our walk should certainly look like light in the darkness. Our walk should look, we should be, as we're walking through our life, a beaming light in a sense, in darkness. Um, look at the last, these last verses. Look at some of these actions of the Father. This is really cool. Past tense actions and present conditions. Look, he's qualified you. He's delivered you. He's transferred you. Those are past tense. Hey, wait, I'm, I'm not dead yet. I, I know. But that's already happened. He's already qualified you. He's already delivered you. And he's already transferred you. It's already done. That's the point of living in Christ. It's already done. And he's given you present conditions here. He's given you an inheritance. You already have it. He's given you redemption. You already have it. And he's given you forgiveness. You already have it. Man, that's grace. That's so awesome. So do you need anything more to be thankful? Giving thanks. Man, do you need anything more to be thankful? Do you need to hear any more about why you should walk worthy of the Lord? I don't think so. So what do we do with this? Well, the gospel's perfectly illustrated in these last verses. I mean, perfectly. God redeemed us. God delivered us. He makes us his children. He brings us into the family. And that comes by way of the cross of Christ. That comes through Christ's death on our behalf. Him bearing our sin upon himself. Nailing it to the cross. Taking on the death that we all deserve. And going to the grave, but then defeating that death, because no grave is going to hold the creator of all things. And in defeating that death, he has delivered those who love him and surrender to him by faith. He's delivered us into his kingdom, into his family, into the kingdom from our kingdom of death to his kingdom of life and light. So if you're hearing this for the first time, man, I, I would just implore you, beg you, hit the ground, take a knee, ask the Lord to forgive you for your sins, to bear your sins on that cross, to bring you into the family. Surrender to him. Just tell him, I, I surrender. I tap. I'm, I'm yours. Take me. Use me. Call me your own. Do it. Do it today. Let him rule in your life and then hit us up. Let me know you did it. We want to pray for you. We want to connect with you, especially if you're in the East Valley of Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and listen, if you're already in the family like I am, man, listen, why not be thankful? 
Why not walk around looking a little more happy about it, being thankful? Why not seek greater intimacy with him? To know his will, to have understanding, to have wisdom, to make it, to use it. Why not seek that, pray for it, ask for it, and most importantly, man, live like it. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, of his name. So, uh, I'm going to pray, but really quick again, you want to come join us, we'd love for you to do that. You know how to find us, just get online and and hit us up in social media or, or whatever. And one more reminder again, next week there will be no video. So... Uh, but, uh, two weeks we back on video and continue the series. So let me pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for your word. It is so awesome. And I thank you for each and every person, um, that's spending this time with us studying your word together. God, I pray that you're glorified in what's said and what's done. Help us Lord to walk in a life that is worthy, walk in a manner that is worthy, that represents you. That people would know when they see us, that people would hear uh, others talk, that, that the places we hang out, the things we do, the things we say, the things we read, the things we watch, the things that we talk about, all of those things would be clear evidence that we are in your family, that people would recognize who we are. And God, I pray you give us, please give us knowledge of your will increasingly. Give us, Lord, um, the the wisdom and understanding to use what we know of your will in our lives. And God, I pray that you produce fruit or that you increase uh, our knowledge of you. God, that, that we would study your word but be filled with your Holy Spirit and that we would never stand in the way of what you do. And I thank you for the grace that's made all of that possible. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things for your glory alone. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you.